Welcome to the Film Effect Treatment. It's the Film Effect Podcast. I have sharpened up my blades. This celluloid is being shredded with minutes. I've smoked a lot of fucking weed in my life. <laughs> I don't think I've ever scored weed at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so we're kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing. Or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Hello everybody and welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, a weekly show that deep dives into a different flick each episode in an effort to give it that full Film Effect treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. It's 1987. Do you know where Freddy is? There's no waking up from this nightmare. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 3, Dream Warriors. In A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, a psychiatrist familiar with knife-welding dream demon Freddy Krueger helps teens in a mental hospital battle the killer who is invading their dreams. So Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. This is the one where I feel Freddy Krueger became kind of a household staple in horror like he he kind of like broke out and became a pop culture icon you know what i'm saying yeah he's he's definitely a lot funnier in this one you know in the first two it's just so serious and it's so dark and yeah obviously he was an icon at that point but this one you know it really broke out you know uh robert england just knocks out of the park like ad-libs a lot of stuff uh, but in this one, you know, it's still a horror movie. It's still scary, but they added in just enough of the humor and um, creativity to really make it stand out. Yeah, I feel there's a balance in this film um, as far as the Freddy Krueger character goes uh, with, with the humor and, you know, the serious horror um, to the persona, so to speak. Um, I noticed that, yes, there's a lot of... I wouldn't say a whole bunch of, you know, one-liners and jokes. He definitely throws some out there in this one that he didn't do in the last two films. Um, But I would personally argue um, the next film, The Dream Master, is when he became, like, full-blown MTV icon, like, status. Like, the minute Freddy Krueger shows up on a beach and throws on them sunglasses, you know, that's when it becomes... Your, your your daily variety, so to speak, for uh, you know the '80s generation. So, and and this one, he's getting there, but he's not fully there yet. Uh, this is still a serious movie, I would argue, with um, a lot of humorous aspects. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. It's it it kind of it's like a gradual thing, and the third one, between the second and third one, is probably the biggest shift. Like it goes from just completely serious and dark to have in one-liners and um, some more dark humor. And the fourth and fifth one are definitely a little bit more, uh, but it's not too bad. The sixth one, when he turns into the Wicked Witch and Wily fucking Coyote, is when it like just completely went 
overboard, but you can kind of see a progression, I think, in the well, next that's when you, several that's when you movies. jump the shark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, while we're talking about it, I'll bring it up now. Part two, I feel like the older that I get, the more I love and have a respect for that movie. When I was young and dumb, that was probably my least favorite of the franchise. Now, I would argue Freddy's Revenge this subtitle that no one ever refers to is my favorite of the series just because of how dark it is yeah there's the whole you know the, the, the whole I wouldn't call it a subplot or a sidebar but you know the, the, the obvious you know elephant in the room the, the, the gay innuendo and um, yeah. everything about the Mark Patton character and uh, the controversy behind it and how it you know transpired onto screen I think that makes the movie unique. Um, it has a lot of memorable parts in it too. Like a lot of people Freddy, forget that. Like the, yeah, the bus scene and stuff like that. Yeah. It has memorable parts in it too. Freddy is scary in that movie. Like he is like downright scary. Yeah, the ending is questionable. Dogs with faces yeah. and whatnot. I feel like they kind of like lost a lot of steam uh, once they got to the third act of that movie. But up until that, you know, there's a lot of memorable moments, and um, I just, like I said, the older that I get, I, I just had this newfound respect for that movie, and um, dare I say it's my favorite of the bunch, even over the first film, so. Yeah, it's definitely, rate, like, rose over the rankings for me. The, the bar, Freddy's fucking barbecue at the end is what kind of kills it from getting any higher for me. Uh, just because it's so ridiculous. I, th- I, th- I think the rest that of the scene is, is interesting. So I have always found that that part interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. Different strokes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are, Dream Warriors. Every time I think of this movie, I had that docking song in my head, and I just rock out. I love it. Uh, there's just there's a lot about this movie that I'm a fan of. I would say I'm not as big of a fan as I was when I was younger, but I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still down for this movie and um, excited to talk about it. So, without further ado, let's get the first time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that, you see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So, technically, that's my second time. And... I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to, and for me, I I can't pinpoint an actual time and date and place where I was. Um, I I can almost guarantee you it was on Nightmare Theater at some point when I was probably six or seven years old. Um, Same here. Uh, yeah, it, it it I just it 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 goes back so far into my childhood that I just I just had the faintest memories. I just remember seeing it and, you know, the the the, the cover, the poster for this movie always stood out to me. Um, you got all the the, the, the the blade in your face, the, the glove in your face and every single there's a different, you know, dream warrior representing each blade and Freddy's like face and the and the it's just a great illustration and um yeah, it's so. cool. The more recent one sucks. I, I saw when I was researching, I saw they had a more recent, like modern version with all their pictures. And I was oh, like, really? oh man. Yeah. I was like, what has happened to fucking oh, movie posters? 
I don't know. My DVD copy has the old school cover, so I don't know what that new poster cover is on, but it came up when I Googled it, and I was like, oh, man, what have they done? Yeah, I actually watched my old DVD from the uh, the, the old school Snapcase collection from uh, New Line. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's how I watched it. So, All right, so let's do Live Top 5. Rob, it's your turn. Okay. I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. Let's keep it simple. Top five Freddy kills. I have two honorable mentions, real quick, off the bat. Um, as you just mentioned, Death Bar Barbecue Massacre from Freddy's Revenge and uh, Death by Waterbed in uh, Part 4 of the Dream Master. Uh, did you have any <laughs> honorable mentions, first and foremost? Uh, yeah, the um, motorcycle in... Um Part uh, what was it? Part four or five? five with the motor- part five, five. Is Dan. Dan, okay, yeah, Dan. When he gets fused with the motorcycle, it's still yeah, a need for speed. Yeah, I've always enjoyed that one, so that would be my honorable mention. All right, all right. I'll kick it off. My number five is Death by Ear Trauma in Freddy's Dead. Nice hearing from you, Carlos. Yeah, that's a good one. That could actually be a scary scene if the movie was trying to be scary at any point. Yeah, it's it's the one kill from that movie that I just I it's a standout moment for sure. Everything else can go to hell, <laughs> but that movie that uh that part and um you know on its own merit is uh pretty memorable. How about you? What's your number five? So ironically enough, uh, my number five is Spencer from the same movie, uh, Freddy's Dead. Um, so I acknowledge it's a completely stupid kill, but just as a kid, I always thought it was hilarious, and still to this day, I'm entertained by it. But just power for some glove. reason, him get him getting killed by the power glove, seeing Freddy uh, say, "Now I'm playing with power." And star power, and then seeing him get killed by the dads, they're like, "Be like me, be like me." I don't. I always just was entertained by that. Be like me, son. Be like me. Yeah, man. Super Spencer. That's um, Brackenmeyer. Brackenmeyer, and just seeing him bounce around in the real world. Yeah, uh, it's just so ridiculous. But I don't. I've always been entertained. Like when I think of Freddy kills, it's definitely not scary, but it's it's entertaining. Yeah, Breckenmeyer and his rat tail. Gotta love it. All right, my number four is, speaking of, Death by Bike. From the Dream Child, Dan. He had a need for speed, and it, it got the worst of him. So, how about you? What's your number four? Uh, my number four is Debbie from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, uh, when she gets turned into a cockroach nice. and crushed. It's just so gross. It's just uh, really it cool, is. like, with the with the makeup they put on the prosthetics they put on her when she turns into the cockroach and just when he squishes just so gross i don't know that one that's, always stood out to me i always enjoyed that one that's uh screaming mad george that's his uh, makeup effects that part all right so my number three is death by best friend 
from Freddy's Revenge when um Jesse kills um um shit what the hell's his name Robert um you know what I'm talking about his best friend uh, and his dad uh, from you know uh, Ferris Bueller sucking with names right now on <laughs> <Hold> a second <laughs> are you talking about the end of it yeah his best friend Brady Brady, Brady. yes Brady no Grady not Brady Grady, Grady Robert yeah. Rustler I got the first name right yeah, because his you know his, his um dad is uh what's his face from uh the the father from um Christ I'm drawing a blank all over the place what the hell is his name uh, Lyman Ward from Planes Trains Automobiles Lyman Lyman Ward you'll never make the okay. six anyway uh <laughs> yeah definitely that that yeah part two that that scene has always freaked me out because it's like first off. The makeup effects is just, it still holds up. It's its badass. When Freddy comes out of Jesse, and then, yeah. And then he got, like, fucking Grady's beating on the door, and, like, it's, like, wedged down. No one can get it open. His parents on the other side trying to get it open, and, like, all of a sudden, like, the claws just go through the door. You see blood. It's just fucking gnarly. And it's always freaked me out since I was a little kid, so. Had to yeah. mention it. What is your number three, sir? My number three is Jennifer from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Um, I, I don't know. This one always stood out to me, too. Just with the Zsa uh, Zsa Gabor bit, like the talk show. He's like, who the fuck would you think? <laughs> I can't wait to talk it. about that. Uh, yeah, go on. Uh, and then just seeing that and then just the um special effects work of uh like the arms coming out and grabbing her and shoving the yeah. head in and then uh the ad lib line welcome to prime time bitch right uh, right right it, it just always stood out i think any nightmare on home street fan that's like one of the first ones people quote and think of so that's that's why i picked that one uh i love it myself but i just i try to keep it one per and uh we still got my uh favorite from this film coming up my number two is not that uh spoiler alert it is death by bed suction good old johnny depp from the original film him and that little portable tv went bye-bye geyser of blood (laughs) oh it's gnarly that that that's actually like that that scene is like one that was I was I saw it when I was very very young and like it was just embedded in my 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 mind. But every time I saw the box art for Elm Street before I actually sat down and watched it, I just remember thinking to myself, "That's the movie where the guy gets all the blood sucked out of him." <laughs> so, <laughs> what is your yeah, number two, sir? My number two is again from Night Round Elm Street three, and uh, that's Philip. Uh, I love the whole, um, I love the whole puppet thing. The puppet. I had a, th- I had a thing for killer puppets. So seeing Freddy turn into a puppet is really cool. And then yep. just the effects, like the tendons and veins of him hanging and being a puppet look really cool. And then when he's up at the top and seeing like the Freddy composite shot over top and swipe, it's just like a perfect kill. I just love that scene. Like, uh, that one. If you would have asked ten year old me, that would have been my favorite kill. Uh, it's not anymore, but I I've always loved that one. You know what? It is perfect. It's so perfect. It's my number one on this list. 
Death by Puppetry from Dream Warriors, Philip. I love it. Like, it's, like you said, everything from the first, and we're going to get into it, you know, but it's just so much about it. It's so, it's memorable. It's still creepy and freaky and, ugh, it's just so much to it. It's it's why it still I love makes horror. me wince. Like yeah, I still wince exactly. when I watch it. Like and that's is that's like, the like idea. Mean. So, what is your number one? So my number one is the OG um, kill from Nightmare on Elm Street. Tina getting slashed up in the room. Uh, All right, you know it's just so it's so brutal because you just see it from the real world. You see all the cuts, like just the way her boyfriend uh, reacts. The effects still yeah. hold up, you know, with the rotating room. It's it's just so cool. It just sets up Freddy like as what kind of threat he is, and it's brutal. So that's always my favorite. I, I just I love the original film. Like to me, that's still the best one. And that kill, it, you know, because she's kind of built up to be the lead until that point, and then boom, she's she's gone. Yeah, they West pulls the rug from underneath of you because even me, he even got me. I remember watching it for my first time on USA. And I was like, man, this cute blonde's a lead girl. And all of a sudden, like, she gets, I'm like, she's going to survive this easy peasy. You know, she survived the first encounter in the opening scene. She's got this. Nope. I was like, oh, damn. Like, she got got. Like, she got got good, too. Shit. Yeah, it's just brutal. The way they they did it with the rotating room, I mean, it still just looks great. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I I love the B uh the B footage of that of all the the blood leaking sideways and everything turning and the blankets and stuff like that it's it's good stuff. Yeah. All right then. Well, shit. Let's take it to the film effect. Alright, so right off the bat, we get that old school New Line Cinema logo for the last time. I love that. This, yeah, the last time in this series because Dream Master starts with the updated logo, as we're all familiar with. Um, nah. This I'd is old, old school. school logo. I, I think of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original Evil Dead, um, Elm Street, obviously, two and three. Well, yeah. And that's it. the house that Freddy built, man. You're goddamn right. And then we get a quote. Um, questionably from Edgar Allan Poe. There's there's a lot of people um who argue that this is definitely not a Poe quote. But anyway, it says, Sleep, those little slices of death, how I loathe them. And I figured you and I, you know, we're Baltimore boys. Edgar Allan Poe, obviously, is Baltimore. I've, I'm not familiar with this quote personally. Um, I, it, it's, it, kind of doesn't sound I don't know it sounds like an imitation of Poe yeah um, it wouldn't surprise I, me if it's not a direct quote <laughs> it really yeah. wouldn't surprise me so, if somebody just took something and made it up or we'll embellished s- or something we'll, we'll say this for now for the sake of going with the flow so our opening credits are set to a very dark almost cathedral-esque score from Angelo Badalamenti, who uh, is David Lynch's musical collaborator, who I'm sure I just butchered the fuck out of his name. But uh, he's, <laughs> yeah, frequent collaborator for David Lynch. He did 
both the original and the updated series for uh, Twin Peaks, as well as a bunch of other films. Um, another fun fact, uh, I guess around this time, he was kind of dabbling with mainstream films because he did this, and then he went on to do Christmas Vacation, oddly enough. And huh. I listened to his score, and compared to the rest of the series, it stands out. Like, it's very different, very, like, organ-heavy. Um, like I said, like, it's like a like an old-school cathedral kind of-esque dark time, a dark age. I don't know. It's It sounds very, like, um, ancient. I don't know if that's the right word I should be using, but uh, that's what came to mind. But it definitely stands out. And uh, it's, it's funny because last week I was listening to a bunch of... I listened to a, a handful of tracks from it, and I'm like, damn, this is, like, definitely different for even Elm Street. You know, it's it's dark for even an Elm Street film. Yeah, I'm not a soundtrack guy, but I could even tell the difference because it really didn't have as much... I don't know the name of the um, Freddy's theme, but it really didn't have that as much as a lot of the other movies. Just no, you, you get elements of it. You get elements, but you don't get the full... At least I don't recall. Maybe you do once, but I don't think so. Maybe in the beginning, but not as much yeah. as the other ones. Yeah. So, uh, we're introduced off the bat to Kristen, who is play- played by Patricia Arquette. And she's making a model of uh, Nancy Thompson's house. Everyone always says it's Freddy's house. It's not Freddy's house, guys. It's Nancy Thompson's house from the original film. Um while she's being hocked up on coffee beans and soda. And her mom comes in with her new date downstairs waiting. And I fucking love Brooke Bundy in these movies. Like, from the underlays to her straight up showing zero interest <laughs> for anything or anyone but herself. Like, discussing yeah. how caring more about helping her guest finding the bourbon than her daughter and her night terrors. It's like, you're a real bitch, but there's something about you I love. <laughs> That I think it's the underlay. Yeah, that always stood out to me. I don't know why the underlay, underlay. Yeah, yeah, because she even does it in the fourth film too. Because she comes back for that one, even though Kristen's recasted. Um, uh, Brooke came back for the the sequel. So it's sleepy time for Kristen, who then wakes up in front of the house, which is now soon. It's broken down state for. I believe the first time in this series, because we don't see this house, like, because it's, you know, because Jesse and Nancy, you know, respectively live in it in each film. So this is the first time we're seeing this house and it's like state that it's pretty much widely known or remembered for. This is broken down, decrepit, like vacant, rundown, you know what I'm saying? Boarded up house. Yeah. Um, no, it looks uh, cool with the kids and everything. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, God. It's, it's, it's in, in terms of horror, it's legendary. So, yeah. these jump rope kids, are they supposed to be Freddy's victims? Is that what we're going with? Is that the assumption here? I'm assuming it's like his original victims when he was still okay. uh, human and killing kids. Uh, you know, I'm assuming that's what they were going for there. Yeah, I never quite got the kids. I didn't know if it was supposed to be like representations of his victims or just there for the element of horror and what the hell. Well, but, um, it's, it's a nice creepy touch. I guess the way, 
it is and i guess the way i read into it it's like this is his world so obviously he's like a child killer and molester so what's he gonna have around him a bunch of kids you know tortured kids yeah so that's the way i read it i guess it's dark it's yeah that's why i've always questioned like the whole mtv generation like praising this dude i'm like you guys know who you're praising so i'm not gonna <laughs> lie though i still have my beach towel that has freddy krueger saying can i scratch your back so we hear freddy's trademark scratching sound as this little girl on a tricycle tells kristen that she's got to go and so kristen follows her down to the boiler room in the house where she um says that's where that he takes them all and then we hear the sound and she says freddy's home all the fires start coming up from the boiler and um this chase gives way she picks up the little girl and she's running from fred krueger disappears he is right off the bat alive there's no resurrection from freddy it's kind of like they almost ignored the events of part two like that was a nightmare in its yeah. own and this it almost is, it just it was seems like, like a, just a sequel to the original not the second and that's one a, that's another reason why i've always dug the second one so much is because it's always felt like a standalone movie like it can work on its own merit and i don't know and that's why like here this is definitely a sequel to part one and not part two at all. They kind of like disregard part two. So like I said, Freddy's alive off the back. So we see him chasing her. Um, and we get this effect where she's quick, where she's like, she's stuck running in like this, like mud kind of like, uh, in the first film with Nancy and the steps as Freddy's approaching her. It's, it's, it's much like what happens in anyone's nightmares, at least in mine, when, like you had the feeling or that sensation of being chased in your dreams and like oh yeah you're trying to run but it feels like you're running in place this is exactly what that's like so i've always thought that was a cool effect nice touch uh she ends up in a room full of hanging corpses which is random as shit when i totally forgot it happens as i was doing this rewatch i'm like oh yeah <laughs> yeah there's a fucking random room full of hanging corpses just whatever and then she wakes up or quote unquote now we're in a dream within a dream like inception type shit because she goes to the kitchen the kitchen she goes to the uh, yeah exactly she goes to the bathroom and the 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 faucet handles turn into freddy claws and like freddy appears in the mirror cool effect i've always dug it it's and it's really cool and this terrified the fuck out of me when i was a kid because my grandparents old house had knobs <laughs> that looked exactly like this and That's i af- after i saw this movie 
especially like if I was going to the bathroom late at night, uh, I would not wash my hands. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just go with dirty hands. I'm not touching right, them. Right. Exactly. Um, so her mom enters and Kristen appears to have slit her wrist and she has a, like a razor blade in her hand all of a sudden and she passes out from all the blood loss. So this was a really sensitive topic or a subject in, in the 80s, uh, especially around 87 when this came out. You know, suicide was a really like taboo topic. Um, so this was heavy shit. I know that there uh, originally this film was going to focus more on suicide. I think there was a a plot that involved like everyone, like a group of people banding together to stop Freddy. But in order to do that, they had to actually like they they committed suicide together, like a pack. Yeah, that was in one of the early scripts. Yeah, that's fucking insane. Yeah, I, I read that too. That's fucking gnarly. Like I said, especially you know how sensitive this topic was in, at this time. You know, not to downplay it now. It's it's, it's always a bad or a, it's always a, a serious issue. But in the eighties, it was really big. Um, much yeah, like a lot of other the, stuff. Yeah, you had like the PSAs, like you know, with the suicide stuff and the drugs. Like yeah, yeah. All, all that was yeah, huge back then. Yeah, it was all the rage. So, Craig Wasson, I think that's how you pronounce it, Wasson. That's how uh, doc- I say it. Yeah, Dr. Neil Gordon being introduced at Weston Hills Psychiatric Hospital. Um, they were introduced to Lawrence Fishburne. Sorry, Larry Fishburne. Larry is before he got fancy and started is, calling himself Lawrence. Exactly. Um, he's one of the orderlies here at this hospital. Uh, his name is Max, like the dog. Dr. Gordon's fi- uh, talking to the head doctor who's Dr. Sims, um, as we're being introduced to various patients at the place during this scene as well. Um, and then we hear Kristen, she's fighting the orderlies who are trying to sedate her. Um, and she's got this scout because she fears that she's going to fall asleep. And she ends up cutting Max with it, and then she cries out this nursery rhyme when Nancy Thompson appears. <laughs> George, stitches out. We want to help you. I'm Dr. Gordon. I'm not going to hurt you. I want to help you. Be careful, Max. Back off, Max. Kristen, put the scalpel down. Nobody's going to hurt you. Nancy Thompson, folks, <laughs> looking like she's aged at least ten years since the first film. They really did her up in this movie to look, make her look older. Like, because you got to think the first film was only th- three years, technically, just a little over two years prior to this. Yeah, 
because the first they're film, banging out Freddy movies. Yeah. But that was the thing, though. Like they. Hollywood really dialed people up to make them look older than they actually were at this time um, in movies. Um, if if I had to put my finger on it, I would say that they're trying to make her look like she's in her early to mid-30s, when in reality she's like 22. Yeah, at least late <laughs> you know 20s. Yeah, at least late 20s is what I would say, especially since um, it's not in the final film. But originally there was like a love subplot between her and um, Neil, Nancy and Neil. There was like a well, they're still they're, it, it, they didn't really take much out because they had that whole candlelight dinner and stuff. Yeah, and but there's more hot and heavy stuff that was cut from the movie uh, apparently, like another scene. But uh, it does. It's yeah, it still doesn't look right because Neil definitely looks a little too old for uh, Nancy in this. <laughs> Yeah, it's always awkward. It's always been awkward to me. Um, what was I guys gonna say? Uh, oh, fuck it. So afterwards, we see Doctor Gordon and Nancy getting acquainted together before she takes. Gordon sees what appears to be the ghost of a mysterious nun from afar, and then Max is seen showing. Uh, Nancy around the place before taking her to see all the other patients in the room. We're introduced to Philip the Walker, who introduces her to the snake pit. He's into carvings and puppetry and is played by Bradley uh, Bradley Gregg. I remember this dude from um, Stand By Me, and he was also in something else. I don't know. I just remember him stand by me. That's literally the only other thing I can think of. He was in. Uh, that's right. The class of 1999. He was in that. So. Wait a minute. That's right. Also in Madhouse, the John Larroquette and uh, Kirstie Alley film. Mm. Ever seen that? No, can't say I have. The, the great classic Madhouse. All right, so that was another one of those movies that opened up with a big animated cartoon bit, like Weekend at Bernie's 2 and shit. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, we'll, co- we'll cover that never. So, afterward... Um, yeah, where are we at now? I'm getting lost in my notes here. Introduced to Philip. Yeah, then we're introduced to Kincaid, who we briefly saw before in a padded room. Uh, for he was in there for his attitude problem. Um, and then Nancy's talking to Kristen's mother, who is quite the condescending piece of work, puffing away on those cigarettes like it's going out of style. Um. You know, trying to like get in, you know, get a fee. Just, I don't know. How how would you describe this? Uh, very dismissive, I would say. Like, just because, uh, you know, she's basically like, you know, uh, oh, I had the housekeeper pack some things. Like, you know, it, it's just very dismissive and just nonchalant about the whole thing, I would say. Yeah, like she doesn't really 
truly care about, you know, her daughter's well-being. It's always about her first, you know, like we saw earlier with, you know, caring more about the man downstairs or her guests. Her yeah, because she's pretty much like, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> you know, that's pretty much the attitude uh, towards Nancy. Yep. Like, how can we fix it? All right, so then we see Dr. Gordon, Neil, at his home on his massive PC doing some research on hypnosil after <laughs> seeing a prescription of it in Nancy's purse. So I guess he's got that exclusive access to AOL from all the way back in the 80s. Like, I don't remember the internet being a thing, especially he's at his house. Am I, am I, uh, I don't think he's scene? on the internet. I, my guess would be he's a doctor, right? Like, is he a doctor? They don't call him a doctor. Yeah, he movie. is. Yeah, there he is. They, they do. So, okay. so I guess what he's they got the like he's this, got like I'm I'm guessing like the old school huge fucking floppy disk that just has like medicine on it. I'm assuming. Okay. Be- because it doesn't. When you look at I looked at the computer screen too because I was curious. I was like, what is he on? Like, and it actually just says document. So I'm assuming he just has a floppy with like pharmaceutical stuff, and it just happens to have okay. hypnosil on it. Um, because back then, because I was like, "There's no way, there's no way in nineteen in early 1987 that internet was a thing." First off, no, well, maybe inter- it was. The internet, as we know it, wasn't a thing, but there was a thing called boards, which is basically uh, somebody would have a server, a small server, and there would be a board, and they could post things to it, and you could hook your phone up to your computer, dial in, and look at the board, but that. <laughs> That's not what that looks like. It looks like a document or something like that. Sounds like a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Like, I mean, it would, like, literally, like, you would download, like, a picture or something like that from those things, and it would take, like, a day. Yeah, it was crazy back then. But it looked (laughs) like a document. I'm assuming he has some kind of document. But, yeah, the computer, I, I... it stood out to me too. I had to watch it again. I was like, what is he researching this on? Like, it's an old computer. I don't know, like, what the fuck is that? So we get Kristen falling asleep, and she wakes up to a tricycle that rides itself in with a trail of blood, and then it begins to melt. Kristen then finds herself back inside the Kruger house and enters the dining room area with the rotten pig. So I love this story about how they filmed this. So they actually got a pig, and they rotted it out intentionally, like, over time, and they let it, like set out and (laughs) like it's spoiled (laughs) and once they got time to you know do that and you know how the pig actually like jumps out at her so they had to actually have a guy under the table oh he and he was in charge of you know moving the pig and it's that's like watch the never sleep again documentary and this the whole story it's it's a funny one um I'm probably not supposed to say this, but it's, it's someone throw it up on YouTube so you can watch it on there. Um, but but yeah, it's a good documentary, by the way. But and and the story behind that is just so funny because it's like I can only imagine like they have the source, the the, 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 the poor schmuck under that table that has to be like uh, just deal with that. You probably they, couldn't. They said they had it out. Yeah, if it was like well, at least like a week or two, they had that shit spoiling. As someone who's worked around food most of their lives, it can like something rotten like that can literally choke you. 
Like, you know, people think like, oh, how bad could it be? It can literally choke you sometimes. Like, you can't breathe. I- I'm like the power of the fume. Yeah, like it, you just breathe it in, and it's so thick and heavy. Like you just gag and you just choke, and then you can't even breathe in uh, fresh air. So I can imagine what that uh, person had to be going through underneath that table. Oh. Jesus. So then we get Snake Freddy. Um, <laughs> or so let's discuss Freddy. this rather uh, obscene design and how they <laughs> filmed it. Oh my. The original design, I heard, just looked like a penis. Like, apparently... It had a foreskin. It had a fucking foreskin. (laughs) They said it was just so pink, it just looked like Kristen was getting eaten by Freddy's dick. (laughs) So they had to, like... (laughs) Just getting eaten by a dick. (laughs) That's just what I think of. I don't know. You know how they say, eat a dick? Oh, the dick eats you. (laughs) That would be pretty good. Just like, eat a dick, Freddy. He's like, I got one better for you, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I fucking love it. Let's remake it. Uh, All right. um, Yeah. Whoever the fuck was in charge of this one just really... uh, can drop the ball, I guess, or something. So, uh, and then poor fucking Patricia Arquette, her first like big Hollywood movie, and they like put her in this goddamn thing, and like they actually like lifted her up and shit, and like it looked scary as shit. Like I can only imagine what was going through her head. Like this is how every movie is. Like fuck this. Now I know why she didn't come back for part four. <laughs> I mean, good God. Right. Um, just poor thing. God damn. So Kristen, in the, back to the film itself, she pulls Nancy. She finds out she has this ability where she can pull people into her dreams. So she does this uh, to Nancy. Uh, that whole thing where she like falls into her chair and goes through it into yeah. the room. And there's this whole like grand like kind of reunion between Freddie and 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 Nancy because first Nancy sees him and she's like she lets out that oh my god and then she grabs that broken piece of mirror or glass or whatever and like stabs him like is it in the eye I think it is or something like that yeah. and he like looks at her and he just goes you and like it's like Nancy Kruger the reunion after two <laughs> movies yeah yeah, it's uh, uh it, it's yeah. I mean, without like going into too much, yeah, I, it's fine. He's like, I fucking remember you, bitch. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> right, right, right. You beat me before, so Nancy then tells Kristen about the house from her dream and how it used to be hers, and Kristen reveals that she has been able to pull people into her dreams since she was young. When she would pull her dad in whenever she got scared. So, then we have this group therapy session and everyone discusses their dreams and how they all have dreamt of the same burnt person before. Yeah, this is um, where and, I have an issue with like the whole script. Like, If you have these kids all okay. coming and describing the same person, wouldn't that lend some credibility that something's going on? You know, it's not like these kids are all together 
like from the beginning and they are all talking about the same guy they say like isn't it odd that we all come in saying the same person and you all don't think anything of it like come on <laughs> really you're not wrong but this is this is what i gathered from this uh this doctor here so she's not really um doesn't like to admit when she's wrong yeah and, uh, she's very she's very stubborn um so <clears throat> lights out for the kids date night for Gordon and Nancy she tells them her her, her um uh, this is what we hear uh or find out what happened to her mom after the first movie ended that big cliffhanger so her mom died in her sleep and her and her father fell apart after that and she then tells them of the dangers that the kids are um, that the ward are in and she asks him to prescribe them hypnosil and he's like you know gives her a big stubborn like no uh, this is it this is the final answer is no not happening absolutely not so then Philip's death scene happens and I fucking love this. We just briefly talked about it earlier. Um, just everything from the stop motion effects to Pep to uh, Freddy's puppet, you know, formation to just how he becomes Philip's puppeteer using his veins and strings. It's brutal, creative, and one of the most just memorable deaths of the series. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a scene that. No, go ahead. What were you saying? No, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's a scene that includes uh, Silent Joey's Game of Charades with the unit until uh, while this is happening. Um, and then that image uh, as with Freddy in the sky, it's just the fucking cherry on the top with uh, as he cuts the arteries, sending Philip to his death. It's just iconic. It is. I, I, I found it funny rewatching this um, at the end of the kill when uh, Phillip's at the top and he's kind of waving his hands up and down. And like, obviously the people, the teens that are awake are looking at him and all they see is his hands just going up and down. And they're like, what is he doing? And I was just waiting for one of the teens to be like, is he doing the thriller? Like, or something like that. It just (laughs) looked fucking silly up there a little bit. Like, but right. Right. But it's just such a great kill. Like it, it, the execution is perfect. I even like at the beginning when Kincaid's like, have a nice walk. Like as he's fucking leaving the room. Have a nice walk, asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, everything. It, this is what you want out of a Freddy kill. You want it to be uh, gross and gruesome a little bit. Imaginative. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's, it's everything. It's my favorite by far. Yeah. You get to see Freddy's not face. Even close. Like the joy when he cuts him off. Like just... Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. So we get the group with Dr. Sims and Dr. Neil Gordon. And the two doctors are quick to call Philip a coward. Like, not really. I'm not a doctor myself, but I'm not quite sure you're supposed to be saying that kind of shit. Like, these people are grieving and you're calling him a coward. Basically saying, yeah. You guys are pussies for grieving this coward. Like, what the fuck, dude? Chill. Take it back a lunch. So, Kincaid snaps after news of the doors being locked and sedations being administered each night. He's taken away. He's like, nah, fuck you. Nah, fuck you. Who Gordon tells him is that he's prescribing hypnosil. And she's like, try knowing exactly what it is, but you're out of your mind. And they're his patients, damn it. And it's his decision. So Sims is the film's, like, moral villain, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. And uh, it's just, how bad is Gordon trying to get in bed with Nancy? It's so fucking obvious. He's oh, even, yeah. like, going through extreme lengths to, like, jeopardize his job. Hit the cell? Fuck it. Give it to all of them. Each day. Yeah. He's like, I looked it up on the computer. Seems good to me. Let's give it to him. <laughs> Thumbs up. Um, then we see Kincaid alone in this pad cell. Singing to himself that he ain't gonna dream no more. And Taryn and this... This is a really random scene. So, Taryn and an orderly who's trying to get her drugged up in exchange for sex, apparently, which I'm sure was a thing back in these places back then. Like, And it's just out there because we don't see nor hear from this dude anymore throughout this entire movie. Yeah, he doesn't get his comeuppance. Yeah, it doesn't come back around at all. He's just like, come on, I got this place where I can take you. Got all the good stuff, you know. And I'm like... Why is this not a thing in this movie? I feel like this was something that was like they filmed more stuff and it was trimmed or just cut altogether. Um, it must have been. Otherwise, it, it must, otherwise, it it's, it's really random. It's so random. It, otherwise, it is. It is. I had like a Mandela effect because when I was rewatching this, it's been a while since I've rewatched this. And I was like, is he like come back in a dream scene later or something like that? But no, he doesn't fucking ever show it back up at all. And I was, yeah, I I agree. It's no, completely pointless. It's, it's fucking weird. Um, so then Jennifer, who is uh, quote unquote the group's rising Hollywood actress. So this is the scene that you were talking about earlier, uh, or we were, uh, that you brought up with the television with. First, she sees uh, it's it's the Dick Cavett show with Zsa Gabor, and Dick actually handpicked Zsa uh, instead of uh, Sally Kellerman, who was originally scripted to uh, be the uh, the guest, being killed. We hear the iconic "Welcome to Primetime, Bitch," uh, which was originally not scripted, uh, like you said, that was ad libbed. Yeah, it was um, some lame line. It, and, like, and the, and, no, and the, and the actual line was, in the script, it was, this is it, Jennifer, your big breaker, your big prime time something or whatever. Yeah, I think I'm it was pretty short, sure is just, in it. I think it was Because just, he says that, he says what was scripted, and then he adds the welcome to prime time, bitch. I didn't know what it oh, was. Oh, probably from an artificial bird. <laughs> Did you ever go to 
any kind of acting school? Not in the beginning. I, I started on a talk show, you know. But when a young actress says, how do you succeed in this business, you don't study. always say you have to study. I think you should study. Devil study, work, and then maybe you can make it. Can I ask you something? Certainly. Who gave that fuck what you think? gnarly scene it's brutal it, uh, it's 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 humorous freddy but it's leaning more towards these darker more serious side of of him still you know no it's um, it's, it's cool because it's got the like the big like uh or not big but the robotic like mechanical type arms that come out he's even got fucking really antenna cool. ears i know i know i saw that too he's got the fucking he's got antenna, antenna ears like bunny ears bunny ears on top of his head but just the the way they uh pulled it off just like having the dummy head come up with the vacuum form at the beginning and then obviously having right. robert england talk and then she gets shoved in it, it still looks good like it, it still holds up fairly well uh compared to a lot of other stuff and a lot of other movies and just the line the line pushed it over the edge i think without the prime time i don't think i would like it as much but just the ad lib uh just makes it uh takes it to another level it was just that chef's kiss right yeah <laughs> um so now we've got this psychiatric hospital with back-to-back deaths over two nights so how are higher authorities not involved by now yeah. and how <laughs> you know they what think- i'm saying how do they think that she killed herself by shoving her head in a fucking TV? I mean, who even yeah, does I know, that? I've <laughs> always wondered that, too. It's like, what the fuck? Are you serious? Um, I think there was something kind of like in, in Freddy's Dead, I've always questioned. Uh, after the, the, the dude who gets the bed death in the beginning by Jason, Trey, like his buddy yeah. Blake, whatever his name is, like he's outside with his dad and like, the whole Freddy tries to kill him as like this big shadow, but he can't because he's not strong enough. And then he wakes up and Jason like shows up behind him and slashes him and he tries to like hold his dad's head out to, to guard it. What I'm getting at is like there's in the next scene, they're like, yeah, I heard, you know, Blake committed suicide last night after hearing that you couldn't t- handle his best friend's death or whatever. I'm like, committed suicide? What did he do? He slash himself across the chest? Is that how he did it? Is that... Like it, it just never added up. So, I I now I just now realized that that was kind of a long story to just get to that fucking bit. So moving right along, Jennifer's funeral. Uh, Neil is approached by Sister Mary Helena, who tells him the unquiet spirit must be laid to rest. It is an abomination to God and to man. And then poof, 
Sister Helena Beat vanishes into thin air as Nancy and Gordon head home in a shot that fades into a fireplace where <laughs> two leads are falling into one big Hollywood cliche. And this leads us to Nancy telling the group the next scene about Fred Krueger and that they are the last of the Elm Street kids. I feel like there's always a different with each film comes a new batch of the last of the Elm Street kids. You are now the last. Of, forget that last batch of the last Elm Street kids. You are now the last batch of the Elm Street kids. And until the, the sixth surviving one. Short, until <laughs> when they Fred are out of dead, kids. And they're all out, exactly. And all they have and is fucking John Roseanne. And all they have is fucking Roseanne and Tom Arnold. That's right. <laughs> The surviving children of those who banded together and burnt Freddy Krueger to death many years ago. They've been paying for their parents' sins. Uh, personally, I think they handle it well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, I, I could totally see all my neighbors just getting into a lynch mob and burning a guy. Yeah. Exactly. Why aren't more people doing that? Hello. Um, <laughs> Nancy and Neil encourage them to try group hypnosis so that they can experience a shared dream and discover their dream powers. It starts with a sw- it starts with a swinging pendulum, and it ends with Joey lusting after a topless nurse who ties him to a bed with multiple tongues. Meanwhile, Kincaid's bending chairs and damaging property while Will and Terrence play in make believe as a wizard and a punk gone bad. Yeah, and then we I get like- uh. Yeah, I like how Go Neil on. reacts when Kincaid's bending in the chair. Like he's like, "Hey, stop fucking up the chair!" But it's like you're in a dream world, dude. Who cares? Like I don't know. Just the way Neil reacts to like Kincaid bending the chair, I thought was funny. Like, "Hey, don't fuck up my furniture." <laughs> um. So yeah, the this nurse, the that 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 Freddie eventually turns into with that that when they're what are they Joey, that's his name. They're holding him captured captive. Um originally they actually this this blonde who plays this topless nurse in the thong, they actually put her everything from her shoulders up to her head in full Freddy makeup get up. <laughs> and it was gonna be a topless Freddy with boobs. And yeah, a wise cut in my opinion. You actually see it. I don't know if you've seen it before, but they actually show it on the uh, Never Sleep Again documentary. And it's just the fucking goofiest image that you just <laughs> cannot get out of your head for days of this like topless like Playboy playmate with fucking Freddy Krueger makeup from like the shoulder blades upward. It's fucking goofy as shit. Um, yeah. And they were just like, yeah, this this is just a uncomfortable to shoot, and b it just doesn't work. Nope, nope. It's a wise nope. cut. Yeah. So now it cuts from her, and then but it cuts to him. Look, I could get into a lot of trouble for this, but I know you won't say anything, will you? I'm sitting. Do you like my body, Joey? 
wrong, Joey. Feeling tongue-tied? <laughs> He's just hanging out, feeling tongue-tied. <laughs> um, so Freddy turns the group session into a boiler room panic until Dr. Sims comes in and calls a cold blue when Joey's revealed to be in a coma since Freddy's got his horny little ass hostage as his as he's tongue-tied to a goddamn bed. Uh, I, I always want a roundhouse kick Sims in this scene every time I watch it. Like, telling Gordon that he brought this on himself in such a condescending manner, and he begs her to listen to the kids. Yeah, real and, quick. Uh, um, yeah, yeah I mean, she's condescending, but real quick, I want to go back to the um, scene where, like, they find their powers. Because, uh, yeah, like, you know, yeah. you have, like... Uh, uh, Kristen, she's like a gymnast, and then you have um, what's Will is a wizard. Will is the wizard. So like I, I think they did a pretty good job with the overall like with everybody's powers, except I will say uh, Tara and the knife girl. I don't know. I think that's kind of lame. Like she looks cool, I guess. The but punk, like, the punk rocker, the punk rocker with two switchblades against a guy with a fucking um knives for her fucking fingers. Like I don't know. To me, she's that's just like bad. Not- that's just not much of a power of being bad. But uh, also, um, I laughed my ass off watching this again because I never realized it. But the boiler uh, part we just talked about where it's like closing in on him. And yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Kincaid like tries to push it and it's hot while she's standing there. Yeah. And she's like poking her fucking knives out like towards the walls. <laughs> like what she's going to fucking do against these walls. Like I got two knives, Freddy. <laughs> like what the fuck? I'm gonna stab it to death. This is gonna save us. Like anybody watching it, just watched her because she's standing like towards the top left of the frame, just fucking stabbing her knives out. Like I don't know. <laughs> just uh, I was like, she's ready for action. All right, like with her fucking two little knives. It. I was almost waiting for Freddy to make a crack, like in the fucking Spider Man, like when uh, the guy pulls a knife on. Spider-Man in one of the movies, and he's like, oh no, my weakness, small knives. Like, that's just kind of what knives. I thought Freddy was going to do. Small knives, oh no. Okay, so with with this, we, uh, we'll talk about it right now, or I will at least. The Dream Warriors, it's themselves, like this this gimmick, this thing that, that is the subtitle of this film. I've always felt underwhelmed by the concept oh, yeah. or the uh, the execution because they don't definitely do anything with it. They do. It really doesn't have it. any. It really doesn't have any bearing on Freddie dying. I mean, it's really uh, Neil and um, Nancy's dad that kill him and the sax man. Which we'll get to that, I mean, but yeah, it really you, doesn't have a bearing on. I mean, um, you look at the front him. cover to this movie and you get that. Excellent, iconic fucking design of the, the the glove, like I said, and in each individual dream warrior on each blade, and you see that cover art, and you're like, "This is gonna be a badass movie. It's gonna be Freddy Krueger versus a bunch of dream warriors. It's gonna be fucking awesome." And then you watch it, and you're like, "He's picking <laughs> them off one by one, and like they don't really do anything." It's well, like. I'll say this for two things in defense of this movie. One, in storyline, they don't have any time to get ready because their plan is essentially to like get ready with their powers and train for Freddy. But obviously that all gets fucked when Joey gets uh, kidnapped uh, by Freddy. So they don't 
you know, they can't execute their plan. So they do say that in the movie. Right. Like Nancy says, I wish we had more time to practice. And two, this is a real world issue, but this movie script originally was like estimated for like $20 million for the script they had. And they got five or four and a half or whatever it was. So I'm guessing maybe they had some other stuff in there that they couldn't shoot because, you know, a quarter of the budget. Well, well the, they always budget the script. And I think that the, the script that was written initially was budgeted at $20 million. Like they, they read the budget, they, they, they read the score or the, Jesus Christ. <laughs> they read the screenplay and based off of everything that they read and what they're going to need, I mean, they kind of like guesstimate what the production value is or how much it's going to cost. And, um, and this, the, the initial draft came in with a $20 million price tag. That's how much it was going to cost to produce that script. Um, and yeah, they, they went with a quarter of that in the end, less than a quarter altogether. Um, it's, you know, this movie is definitely not known for its groundbreaking effects. Wait there. You know, there's some shit coming up that we're going to talk about that's like, holy crap. Um, it's confident, but, but it's some of the fine. effects did hold up. But some of the effects held up. You know, they you 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 give and take with some of them. So, um, so where are we at now? So yeah, okay. Like I said, Gordon, he's now gone. Um, uh, Gordon's now doing his little walk of shame to the car with a single box of office belongings because. <laughs> It's always one box, according to movies. God forbid they ever have more than one box to take home with them coming out of the office when they get let go. You ever notice that about movies and shit? It's always yeah. like, they always have one box with like a plant and like you know a couple little items in there. It's like bullshit. They had their own office. You're gonna have boxes at least, not just a single box. Yeah. No, I know. Agreed. Anyway, getting off topic. Let's get back on topic. He sees a light from the tower, and he goes up to uh, the sea. Sister Mary Helena beat, and then he tells her that the story of, or she tells him the story of Amanda Krueger. For those of you who don't remember, she is a young woman on the hospital staff who is accidentally locked in a room with hundreds of mental patients over a weekend, who raped her continually. And that the only way to stop him is to lay his bones to rest. Um, yeah. She, and then she, we have Nancy with uh, Joey, who's in a coma. And something, like, she tells, she yells for Freddy to, like, let go of him, you bastard. And then Freddy claws, yeah. come and get her, come and get him, bitch, on his back or his chest. Yeah, because she, she really thought he was going to go, okay. And then he was just going to fucking wake up. Right, right, right. Uh, then Neil and Nancy are driving, and he asks where the remains are. And she tells him that the only man that, the only one man knows, old Johnny Boy Saxon himself, the sax man. He tells <laughs> he's, a, he's enjoying life at the bar, shooting pool in his uniform, loving life. And she comes in. Fucks all that up, tells him that Kruger's back, and that uh, he assures her that he's dead, and that she's always had a little trouble understanding things. 
Gordon gets a page and it's revealed Kristen's been sedated and put into the quiet room by Dr. Sims. So he tells Nancy to take the card, go help the kids. Then he pulls the tough guy card on Saxon, which leads to the two going on a little trip together to find Kruger's remains at the junkyard. Um, but not before stopping at the local church, grabbing some holy water and a crucifix. <laughs> The religious, the religious tone in this movie, I swear. Uh, Nancy stopped by Max, uh, who's torn between giving, letting her in, keeping her out. He says he under, he's under orders um, from Sims, even though he understands or he believes that she's trying to help him. He's going, you know, he's kind of listening to orders. So... She instead convinces him to let her have like like a little one last goodbye with the group, because you know nothing shady about this. That yeah. got a what little fucker, Max. Yeah, exactly. So Max and Gordon set the uh, they go to the junkyard and they head to the back, deep in the back where the remains were hidden. Then Nancy pulls a quick group session with Will, Taryn, and Kincaid, and the four head to uh, Dreamland together. And everyone's reunited when Kristen in the padded room, or no, with Kristen in the padded room. Um, so Kruger is revealed as the. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. All of a sudden, Freddy's claws—he's like clawing over the place in the padded room—and then they all individually go to their own little dreams, like alone. And we see Kristen first. Uh, she wakes up in her room in the same manner as the beginning. So <laughs> we, we, we think she's back to happier times, I guess. Her mom comes up, you know, the whole bit from the beginning, you know, she's got a guest who's looking for bourbon, doesn't want to keep him waiting. And then all of a sudden she gets pulled off screen into the hallway and we hear, I said, where's the fucking bourbon? <laughs> and then she's like, got her head who's like talking like kind of like lecturing her and ridiculing Kristen. Where do you keep the bourbon? I'll be right down. Chris, I've got a guest. Please, Mom. I just don't want to be alone. I said, where's the fucking bourbon? You should listen to your mother. God damn it, Kristen, you ruin everything. Every time I bring a man home, you spoil it. You know what your shrink says? You're just trying to get a little attention. It's a, it's a fun effect. It, it really is. <laughs> Kristen dives through the fucking window and then it goes right to Freddy's house. Or I'm sorry, Freddy, quote unquote, his house. Uh, Taryn appears in an alleyway now. We're in her dream. And it takes her back to her dark days as a junkie. And uh, she's approached by Kruger, who's got hypodermic needles in his as it for his claws now and they've got like this I've never heard of a blue liquid drug that's supposed to be like heroin because I'm I think we're led to believe she's a, a, a recovering heroin addict yeah and I mean that's is, typically uh, what you do with a needle but that looks like fucking um, yeah but heroin's not blue not that I'm no. a heroin guy or a heroin expert but I've never hey hey that not whatever it's a movie Make believe. It looked like we know it's it it's, like it's, ble- it's cleaner. 
It's cleaner it like, to kill her. God damn it. It's cleaner or it's like Walt's meth melted down or something like that. <laughs> right, right. Fucking Freddy approaches her and he's like, I am the danger, bitch. I, uh, I just love uh, Robert England's face. Like, you could tell, like, he's just like, yep, I'm coming right now. Like, it's just like when his direction or what he was going for that when he's like injected or what the shit. Like, Freddy's Dude, got his O face on for sure. He does. <laughs> That being said, England is having a fucking blast doing this movie. You can tell, oh, yeah. like, he's just kind of like given more like free reign um, as the character after the first two films were a success. And this one, they kind of like just say, "Dude, you played the character twice already. This is your third go around. We trust you. Do your thing." And boy, does he ever! He doesn't quite overdo it. He does. He never overstays his welcome, as we always say, um, and it's it, it's it's great. It's a, it's a great show. I would argue, even though this is not my favorite Elm Street movie, I would argue that this is. Uh, I would argue it's the best uh, performance as uh, uh, from from England as Freddy. Yeah, this movie between the two Freddies, between Funny right, Freddy and right. Scary Freddy. It's the best balanced, I, I would say. So let's talk about how dreams are used to Freddy's advantage for the first time. We, we never saw other victims in their own dream world before in this series up until now. Like, in the first two films, like, there were nightmares. They were, they were just standard nightmares. It's like being chased in the rooms they were in. In this movie, like, the, you know, there's there's... Like these worlds that like kind of go with um, the things that we start seeing throughout the series. Like in the next film, we'll see Kristen having a nightmare where she's on a beach because she just talks about how like she just wants to get away and, and you know be on this like escape to this beach or whatever. And that's where she you know her dream takes her. Um, we start seeing that more you know throughout the series, and it started with this movie. Um, and I, I didn't know if there was something, um, I guess to be said about that. Um, if you wanted to chime in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm torn on it because in the first few, like you just said, the first two movies, it's more generic, but to me, they're also much scarier. Like they're actually fairly it's scary horror movies. Yeah. It's grounded. You know, it's good that they have like personalized things but at a certain point it almost feels like cartoony like i mean mean, there's no other way it's just it's just yeah and i guess it goes goes with the -the over-the-top approach that the series kind of falls into as it goes on and on um because you know you can't argue a lot of these you know nightmares and deaths get a lot more cartoony you know, we talked about one earlier with Spencer. You know, he's a fucking video game. <laughs> you know, yeah. shit like that. So, um, but yeah, a lot more grounded in the first two movies, and that really worked to the uh, horror's advantage. Um, 
So, so Wizard Will's death is next, uh, or his <laughs> dream, with uh, featuring the wheelchair of death, and Freddie has this unusual monotone, like slowed down voice at first when he speaks. I don't know if that was an audio flub or that was intentional. Did you pick up on that when he talks to when he first speaks? His first sentence is like. Slow down, like worse, like this, and I'm like, what was that? I never really noticed it before up up until up until this viewing. Well, you look tired. Have a seat. No thanks. I'm fine just the way I am. For now, maybe, but when you wake up, it's back. In the saddle again. Yeah, it didn't really stand out to me, to be honest. Oh, I, I guess I, I just, was paying attention at the right moment because I was like, "Wait a minute, what was that?" Yeah, but I will say, like that wheelchair is awesome. Like I want that wheelchair. <laughs> My wheelchair is pretty brutal. It's awesome. <laughs> and it's I'm sure some guy wheelchair. has it. I'm sure somebody has it in their house right now. Like somebody who worked on that movie is like, yeah, oh, that's sure. my oh, sure. Iron Maiden Freddy wheelchair. <laughs> that like, it just got blown up because it doesn't do anything. <laughs> um, so Kristen, Nancy and Kincaid are reunited and Kincaid immediately starts calling Freddy out and says he's a pussy <laughs> and whatnot. I love Kincaid. And then flo- <laughs> I know. A floating door then appears suddenly, which takes them to Freddy's trademark boiler room, which has gone through a major upgrade since the last film and honestly feels like a character to the story this go around. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's much better. I mean, it, 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 I'm sure it has to do it's with the It's like budget. his playground. Because the first movie was made uh, for what, like a mill or something like that? Like really fairly low budget for... Um, what they did. Yeah, so. it was it was like a fucking small shoe size shoebox budget, you know. Like they just shot that movie. Like the boiler room was like in an old school or something like that. So in this one, yeah, you can right. Tell they put a lot of thought into it, and yeah, it definitely stands out. Like Freddy's uh, all boiler room has a lot red, more personality. All the red lighting and stuff. Yeah. Um. So Freddy's remains are in the trunk of a caddy, the, the red caddy from the first film. So Saxon hangs back and enjoys the smoke while Neil does all the digging, but then <laughs> tries to bail before realizing Gordon has the keys. So he hands him a shovel and tells him that they're going to have a long overdue funeral that they got to attend to. So Joey's in the middle of the boiler room and Kristen yells for Freddy to let him go and one by one the tongue starts releasing him. Nancy saves him at the last moment while Kristen fights Freddy with her flashing gymnastic style moves. And Kid yeah, Kate and grabs want, a large... Go on. I just want to bring this up. How come Nancy doesn't get a power? Like, why does everybody else get a power? Why doesn't she get a power? Uh, good point. I guess her power is the knowledge of what Freddy Krueger really is because she defeated him once before. The power to guess. The power to age ten years in a fucking few years. <laughs> <Got her power. laughs> 
or the power to, age. the power to make home alone fucking traps to kill freddy like in the first <laughs> one I, mean, I don't know i i just thought it was odd she didn't have anything yeah, i never thought about it before you're on the something you are definitely on the something my friend uh yeah joe joe so kincaid grabs a large pipe and impales freddy but freddy just pulls it out and licks the blood off the tip which i've always fucking loved that little bit yeah. And Freddy, he's, uh, this is where he then reveals his chest of souls for the first time. I've never seen this before until now. Uh, yeah. Nice effect. That's a cool Definitely bit. looks a lot yeah, better really than the cool. fourth one, but it's still cool. And uh, then he suddenly disappears when he senses his bones are being tampered with. Like, wait a minute. Someone's fucking <laughs> with my bones. I'm going to the real world because apparently now I can do that. And then we get our Jason and the Agronauts fight in the junkyard. <laughs> this is definitely a fucking highlight, dude. With Freddy killing the sax man before hilariously clawing Gordon. The look on this dude's face kills me every time. Like, he gets clawed. <laughs> like, cause they, they're obviously fighting. He get, it looks like he's having a heart attack when he gets clawed. I love it. Um, I just like when his fucking skeleton roars and then fucking Yes, falls he apart. knocks He's he knocks fucking Gordon into the grave, and then digs him in a little bit, pours some dirt on him, and then does this victory chant before collapsing. You're right. It's like this. He's like roar, Freddy roar, out. Roar. I know he's like Freddy out, bitch. Like yeah. <laughs> just fucking drops it. And let me just say, I'm sad. Uh, Saxon dies right here because even though it's just the small part, I I don't know. I always I like this part in the movie. I, I he's I always, great. I always thought he was great in the movie. And always stood out. I just he's just having fun, drinking at the bar, you know. He's just trying to drink and forget. But I always thought Saxon did a good job uh, in both I, the movies, fucking, this one and the first one. I really fucking hate that we lost him too. Oh, don't forget New Nightmares in that one also. And I, I fucking hate that we lost the man too. It's, I know. It really, like, was it, it like it a year ago? When I read, yeah, it was like a year or two ago. It, it, I, when it happened, it crushed me. I was like, "God damn it, the sex man!" Damn. Oh, gosh. So then we get our hallway of mirrors with uh, all these various Freddies pulling everyone from the members in. All but Joey. Joey's in the corner, like coward holding back and then suddenly his power is revealed he can speak he has the power of a vocal the power of a voice box um I always and he yells his, he, he yells, screams but... or yells and everyone fucking gets crashes out through the, they get spit back out of the mirrors and it's just really cool that everywhere. shot everywhere everybody yeah, falls cool back shot. in the room it's a neat shot, but I always thought it'd be funny if Joey had like a ridiculous voice in the dream world. Like he sounded like <laughs> I a cartoon can talk mouse. like this, guys. Guys, I can finally talk. Like, <laughs> I got my own voice. Like, I don't know. I just always thought it'd be fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, shit. It's like halfway to helium. So this is when we get Nancy's death. She gets fooled. Freddy has one more ruse left in him, and he appears as Saxon. And you know, I've I've crossed into the heaven gates. I've, yeah. I've got to go. But I Why did say she goodbye. buy this? Why did Nancy and she buy? She falls this? for it. 
Yeah, why would Nancy fall for this shit? Like, I, I don't know. Like, really? You think your dad's coming to visit you? <laughs> you ain't no one special. over princess crossed over I couldn't go without telling you how sorry I am for all the things I've done I love you so much I'll always love you I'll always love you I've always felt that, like, I don't know. I think it's because I hate the fact that Nancy dies. I know. I I mean, pretty much Wes Craven, I think, was on record saying, like, they he killed her off just because, hey, it's a sequel. She survived the first one. She's got to die in this one. That's kind of the rule, I guess. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. Um. But then Freddy dies. He gets clawed by his own glove, and apparently that's a big no-no. Um, <laughs> and then the holy water, uh, Neil finds himself out of the grave, and he gets the holy water and pours it onto it, puts the crucifix on it, which you know just makes him spin out of control, and all this shining light makes him explode, and he vanishes. He's gone. Uh, then we fade to Nancy's funeral. A lot of funerals in this movie. Um, how does one explain Saxon's death to the authority? Uh, sorry, officer. My friend here went to battle with that pile of bones over there and was viciously killed in the process. Nothing to see here. Um, yeah. I, I, I just want to see this. Especially when, when he's a cop. Especially when he's a retired cop as well. Or maybe he's still in the force. I, I can't tell. Right, maybe I, I just like to think like there's a scene later where Neil like comes to more and realizes what happened and just has a look on his right. face like oh fuck <laughs> and then just ties them in one of the cars like sorry yeah, sack caddy you're gonna puts you're gonna sleep caddy. in the caddy next to Freddy sorry dude <laughs> <laughs> oh shit so um, Gordon discovers sister Helena Beat is actually Amanda Krueger. It's like the fucking worst swerve in Hollywood history. Um, <laughs> she was a ghost the, film, the whole time. Oh, <laughs> gasp. The film then immediately cuts to Gordon, who's nice and snuggled in bed with a light inside of the model house that Kristen was working on. Suddenly turns on as the yeah. end credits start. And that is... Before we, we wrap up the film... Why does he, Gordon even have this model house? That's Where what I was about to say. Where the fuck did he get it from? I'd have fucking burned that thing if I if somebody gave it to me. 
Here's a memento like, to remember Chris when is like, died. Yeah, Chris is like, here, Dr. Gordon, I want you to have this. I, <laughs> I, I went through a lot of paper mache building this. Please take it. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, that, yeah. Anyway, that that's Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors from Chuck Russell. And let's get into trivia tidbits. Now remember that, because the more you know. Alright, so it's a known fact that the Freddy glove was stolen from the set. Chuck Russell gave a recent interview and also gave an explanation uh, as to what happened and how it was stolen and whatnot. Apparently, two hardcore Freddy fans snuck into the set and disguised themselves as as set grips, (laughs) and nobody noticed the two throughout the day, and while on break, they grabbed the glove and left when no one was looking. Hey, man. And then the Freddy glove... I love the glove, too, so I don't blame them. I had the fucking toy version when I was a kid. I don't blame them. So did I. I loved it. I loved it, too. Do you know what happened to this glove? No, what happened to it? eBay? So this is the glove that was in Evil Dead Two. Oh, no shit. This is, huh. yeah, they, they they it found itself on the that set and that's why they used it. And it's the it's the glove from Elm Street Three that is in the uh shed of ashes in Evil Dead Two. Huh. A little fun fact there. So you think which Raimi, came out the same year. Both films came out in eighty seven. You think Raimi so was trying sense. to sabotage them or something? <laughs> it's like, hey guys, get on over there. Yeah. So, actor Ken Sagos, who played uh, Kincaid, stated in an interview that he really didn't want to audition for the role, but his agent talked him into going. And then on the day that he uh, went to the audition, he walked in the heavy rain to catch a bus to the location, showed up completely drenched, and had to sit and wait for a few hours due to the auditions running late. When it was his turn, director Chuck Russell told him, do whatever you want to do. Sagos was so frustrated and mad about the whole ordeal that he yelled, Fuck you! And then proceeded to scream and curse <laughs> out Russell. And that got him hired right there on the spot. Uh, for the dream sequence in which Dick uh, Cavett was uh, interviewed, uh, being interrupted by Freddy Krueger, uh, like I said earlier, Sally Kellerman was originally in the script as the guest, but Cavett was the... He was allowed to pick the person that he was going to interview, and he picked Zyzeichel Moore. Because he thought that she was the dumbest person he'd ever met in his life. And he'd never have her on his show in real life. So, if there was one person that he'd want to see killed by Freddy Krueger, it would be her. I love that trivia bit to bit. And it's just uh, funny because like, they, they had to get her in the movie. So, you think they're like, yeah, we really want you. Like, we want to have you in this movie. Like, <laughs> I guess you never put. Two well, she had no clue who Freddy Krueger was. That's why her reaction was so like ho hum in the movie in the final <laughs> cut because she was just pretty much told to act scared, and she saw it for the first time, and she's like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, ah, you yeah, know, one of those. <laughs> I think that kind of uh, adds to it though, because she's so fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah, she's so stuck right. up. I know. <laughs> so for one, one for one week during filming, uh, Robert England was working twenty four hours every day. By the by, uh, by day he was wrapping up filming on his television series Downtown, and then uh, report to Elm Street Three at night and work uh, through the night on that. So two projects at the same time. I, I can only imagine how difficult that must be, and how frustrating it would have to be as well. 
In real life, um, Ira Heaton, who played Will, was uh, Dungeons and Dragon Dungeon Master. But no surprise there. <laughs> During high school, uh, which made him feel secure in the role, which he thinks is the reason why he got the part of Will. Chuck Russell made it his direct. Uh, I'm sorry, Chuck Russell. We never once mentioned that this was co-written by Frank Darabont. Yeah, it was like I'm written about, by like four fucking people. Yeah, it was like a lot of. And for those of you who are just casual fans of movies and so like listening to us, first of all, thank you, and second of all, Frank Darabont wrote and directed the Shawshank Redemption. As well as the Green Mile. So, to, to paint a picture for you guys. Oh, yes, and the mist. Cannot leave the mist out of that conversation. So, as far as I'm concerned, he only does heavy hitters. Um, so, my last trib- tidbit. Ah, fuck it, we'll skip it over. So, let's get the pro. Uh, I'm sorry, box office receipts. In the operational funds box. We will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. So Elm Street 3 was released on February 27th, 1987, almost 35 years ago, from New Line Cinema. It opened up across 1,343 screens, coming in at number one, grossing $8.8 million opening weekend. Second weekend, it drops 24.1%, coming in at number two with $6.7 million. Overall, the film grossed $44.8 million against a $4.5 million budget. And this is why this series went to the lengths it did, because it was just a money-making machine at the box office. Uh, These films cost little to nothing to make. As far as New Line Cinema is concerned, even if there was more of a enhanced budget for these movies, like I think they gave him, when I say him, I mean Wes, when they gave him kind of an increased budget for uh, New Nightmare, like they were just like, look, if we owe it to you. You guys put us on the map. If you want more money, sure, have at it. So um, I, th- I think there was just a lot going on at this time. So yeah, because then after this, Freddie got his own show. He had the sequels pumping out. Because you oh know, yeah, one thing I always forget is like the original Nightmare didn't come out till what was it eighty four? Was it eighty five? Yeah, it came out. It was it was like a week after Halloween. Yeah, it came out eighty four. Um, so it's like they banged all these sequels out like so quick because like obviously slasher movies have sequels and they're fairly quick but just how rapid succession some of these came out it's just pretty crazy uh like the freddy train was just you know on just on like full steam ahead at that point like they just kept pumping them out all right let's take a walk to the critics corner see what they had to say about this movie Rotten Tomatoes, Elmer Street 3 currently has a 72%. That's higher than I thought it would be. 
to be honest with you. Same. Based on 36 reviews, the consensus reads, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors offers an imaginative and surprisingly satisfying rebound for a franchise already starting to succumb to its sequelitis. Variety wrote that Russell's poor direction makes the film's intended and unintended horror, I'm sorry, humor difficult to differentiate. Ebes rated it one and a half out of four stars. He liked the production values, but said that it never generated any sympathy for its characters. Okay, fair enough. Janet Maslin of the New York Times wrote, The film's dream sequences are ingenious, and they feature... Some remarkable nightmare images and special effects. Although he criticizes Langenkamp's acting, Kim Newman wrote that in Empire that the film delivers amazing scenes in spades, bringing to life the sort of bizarre images that uh, which used to be found only on comic book covers. So yeah, that's that. I kind of agree. Uh, uh, I forget mixed who reviews. It was. Yeah, I kind of agree with. I forget which um, critic it was about. Uh, Heather Lankenkamp. I will say she's not terrible, but she is kind of wooden in this movie. More, it stands out a lot more so than I agree. Uh, her acting was better in the original. In this one, I don't know why it's like that, but it does come out kind of uh, wooden compared to uh, some of the other uh, actors in it. And Eves, I, I think that's funny. I normally agree with what he says, but like when he says no sympathy for the characters, I mean, this is the third installment in a 80s slasher movie like i don't know how many of those movies right. do you really feel like is that really what you're how, going into how, hoping for how deep you want to go with these characters it's like ed let's get to the theater i want to see that great character work in that next freddy movie like come on all right let's talk about pros and cons before i take on any job i look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Let's start, let's do our cons first this time. Um, I have a couple. I have a few, actually, rather. Three, to be exact. Well, that is a few. Uh, Number one, the execution. As far as the heavily hyped Dream Warriors is concerned, meaning uh, what we talked about before, the badass poster to the concept of these warriors teaming up to go face off against Freddy and that doesn't really happen in this movie. It's just kind of a, here's our powers, here's what we are. Suddenly, one by one, we're getting picked off. Boom. (laughs) You know, uh, which remains, like three people remain, four total if you want to include Joey. Joey, who doesn't even have a power because he can just talk big deal <laughs> uh nancy doesn't have a power at all as you mentioned and yeah so um number two dated effects it kind of speaks for itself uh that junkyard scene is kind of the the, the proof uh, uh of, of the statement and finally uh the amanda kruger subplot uh, I just, I've never been a fan of this subplot. Um, if you're going to introduce it in this series, that's one thing, but it, it kind of felt forced in this entry. Uh, I feel like maybe part two would have been uh, a good point to bring that up, that, you know, he was, you know, essentially 
you know what I'm saying. So, how about you? What about your cons? Um, I have yeah. One of mine is the same. The dream uh, warriors thing wasn't fully realized. Uh, you know, I think some of the powers are cool that the kids have. Uh, but it just needed to have a little more bite. Like, really, they had no effect. I mean, like, they really didn't make a... The plot would have, could have still concluded the same way, whether they had powers right. or not had powers. So I guess it's a great idea. I, I just wish it was executed better. Like, just have Freddy in a little bit more trouble. Just, you know, maybe have them almost beat as they work together or something like that. Because I, I kind of understand the beginning when they're getting picked off because they're separate. Maybe they're not strong enough on their own. But at the end, like when the rest of them are together and he's still just like laughing at them. I don't know. That just completely right. killed the whole uh, Dream Warrior thing to yeah. me. Um, my next con, unfortunately, is Heather Langenkamp. Like I said, I don't know why. She just really stood out. Like especially re-watching it this time. I was like, oh, yeah, that acting. That acting. Kind of wouldn't in this one. And I loved her in the original. I don't think I had that same problem at all in the original. Uh, but in this one, I don't know why she just comes off kind of wooden. And also the aging thing. I, I, I uh, think what it is, I think the aging thing has a lot to do with it. Because in the first one, she's so good because she's acting her age. She is like that age. And when she filmed it, 18, 19 years old or whatever, you know, when she was a senior. And also the first movie is just... Um, uh, it's like we said before. It's it's just it's grounded. It, it's not. There's not. She's not supposed. She's not acting ten years older than what she actually is. Um. And yeah. yeah so. Yeah. No, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, and th- I guess this ties into the same thing. But like her and Neil don't work in the movie. I know they don't technically have a romance, but it just comes off kind of weird to me in the movie. Uh, so that all yeah, no chemistry. the Nancy character. It, it's just they had, odd. They, they have no chemistry. Yeah, just no chemistry. It's like a decent age gap that's kind of weird to me. I don't know. I, I don't buy that. Um, and then my last con. Shit, this happened to me last time. I just literally had it in my head. What the fuck? That's all right. It happens <laughs> to me all the time, brother. I get it. No, hold on a second. I had one more con. What the fuck? All right, let me bang my head on the table. <laughs> one more con. I literally was just thinking about it before I started talking again. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Fuck it. All right, let's do let's do pros then. Um, I got six, so I'll go down real quick. I'll make it quick. Uh, number one. The the runtime, the runtime, and and the pacing, they they kind of go hand in hand. Um, just with this coming in, just just a little bit over an hour and a half, you don't even feel it. I was shocked when I hit the timer button earlier when they got to the sequence with all of them teaming up and going to free Joey, and I'm like, how much time is left? 15 minutes, holy shit, I thought it was like a half hour <laughs> left in the movie, and it's like, we were almost, we got this all wrapped up, god damn, um, so that, and then the crazy, the crazy, the creative kills, um, we, we talked about them individually during the plot breakdown, uh, the return of Nancy Thompson, 
that doesn't mean the character itself. Like, does it doesn't mean the actress playing the character? I'm talking about the actual like bringing back, you know, that that main character that was missing. Not that she was actually, not that she was needed in the last film, um, but it's always nice to see you know a familiar face, uh, especially to this franchise. So I like the idea of bringing back Nancy Thompson. Uh, number four, the sax man. Number five, Patricia Arquette. She's just amazing in this movie and finally uh the idea the concept uh, behind just dream warriors itself and and just all this band of of you know people who are gonna team up together using their powers and their dreams to, to face off against evil it's uh on paper it's a great idea it's just too bad that we didn't get to see that idea really come to fruition the way it was intended to so but those are my cons or my, my pros i'm sorry those are my pros so where where are you at on the your, yours around yeah go down yours yeah i got a couple similar ones so uh uh like you just said conceptually i think this is one of the um, most creative sequels uh for a slasher um ever done i mean you know when you're thinking about Freddy and dreams like it's just a brilliant concept because everybody's had that dream where they can fly or where they can do whatever so to me it just makes sense and uh conceptually it's just so strong you know execution obviously isn't the strongest but still uh even the creativity with the kills creativity everywhere like that's always what I liked about um the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels is even when there's misses there's always some cool creative shit in there it's not just uh, trancing around in a house or in the woods, um, you know, with a machete or with a knife. Like, there's always cool shit. It's always imaginative and uh, imaginative. And I think this one um, is definitely pulls that off in spades. Um, my other pro is Freddie in this one. Uh, Robert England. Uh, they just strike that right balance, uh, like we said before, just between the quips and the one-liners and the comedy but also still being intimidating and a threat. Like he's still creepy and scary. He hasn't completely jumped the fucking shark yet um, right. for a character. I think this is like the perfect blend uh, for me, especially for sequels. You know, in the first one, I definitely dug the serious vibe and the scariness uh, because it scared the shit out of me when I was a kid uh, for sure. But you know, when you're making sequels, you can only do that for so long and so much you have to keep it interesting. And I think, this one uh, definitely struck just the right balance. Uh, so Robert England and Freddie um, is my other pro. And then, um, you know, most of the, my la- my next pro, um, most of the kids are kind of, they're okay. They're forgettable, but not bad. But uh, Patricia Arquette, I think, is really good in this. Like, she just has that innocence. And it's not just this movie. It's other movies she's in as well. She just seems like a very innocent uh genuine person and that comes through on her screen presence um i think she's uh great in the movie i think it's a great debut for apparently uh like all the male um actors on the set were in love with her like had a crush on her while filming and i can see that it just kind of comes through in the movie so as far as the lead i think she's a pretty strong lead for a slasher Mm -hmm. movie um my next pro is like you just said the sax man i i don't know why i find him so <laughs> likable just 
I don't know. I just he's like a drunk old guy. John fucking Saxon. Yeah, he's just a drunk old guy. He's just you know having a good old time. Like I don't remember what movie we were watching uh, during the movie. One of the movie marathons we had. It was like a cannibal movie he was in, and he was still fucking likable when he was a cannibal. I mean, it's John Saxon. You know, (laughs) like I don't know. He's just enjoyable. Um, So I I really dug him in this. Um. Then, yeah, that's it for me. All right, then. Let's get the mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? For me, if we're going to talk about the concept and the poor execution of, you know, the idea of Dream Warriors, then what better mulligan moment than to add more to the concept, to just give you more of what you were initially promised into seeing that, you know, they failed to, you know, deliver one. So, like I'm saying, I'm saying my mulligan moment is to add a couple scenes with these Dream Warriors and give us more of what we were supposed to get initially. So, that, that honestly, that, that would be, other than that, you know, I like a whole lot more than I dislike in in terms of this movie. So it's not really a whole lot that I would want to change. This is definitely the the, the biggest change that I would want. So, yeah, uh, for me, my mulligan moment is definitely the scene um, with Nancy and Neil and their big roaring fireplace and bare skin rug or whatever the fuck else they're doing in that scene. Just, I, I don't know, just redo the scene. Have it not be a fucking weird, like, love-esque dinner scene or whatever. I don't know. I could have did without that. It, it, it just is, with the way they shot, like, or cut the movie, um, and there's no love subplot, it just is really out of place to me. And I'm fine without the love mm-hmm. subplot, because, like we mentioned before, there's no chemistry. It's weird, because I don't know the exact age gap, but it seems like it's at least 10 to 12 years age gap so i'm okay without any of that shit just have them just have them be co-workers why can't they be just co-workers true all right then finger looking good (laughs) finger looking good Uh, for me i put down the opening nightmare that Kristen has with the return of freddy and the real of the the whole uh, the addition of her running in that like glob or whatever it is um it uh, it's perfect because it's the perfect representation of that feeling that you know all of us at one point have dreamt of you know we're running from something we're scared trying to get somewhere quickly and we can't get nowhere because it feels like we're either a running in place or b running and you know it depending on what it is in this case you know quicksand or whatever i don't know you know what i'm saying though yeah yeah i i know exactly what you're saying uh mine's the exact same i think the opening scene is uh, like the most night nightmare scene in the whole movie like it, it feels like a real nightmare like it it definitely feels like something i would have going into like an old house yeah exactly weird kids on a trike you know, yeah, exactly, and, and and also seeing the house for the first time too. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, 
and then uh the boiler and stuff uh like you said getting stuck running i've had that dream so many times where something's chasing me and i just can't get away uh yeah the, the opening scene is always uh creep me out it's always stuck with me and i've always been a huge fan of it i think it's a extremely strong opening uh you know even though it's not explained freddie's just back but still I, it's just a great way to start the movie and it it, like uh, we said before, it strikes that good balance. There's nothing um, mm-hmm. really silly about this. I mean, the skeleton, the girl with the skeleton is a little bit because, you know, like you can tell uh, Patricia Arquette's just running around with like this dummy. And then at the end, it's just a skeleton because apparently originally it was supposed to be like the little girl when it reveals that she's a skeleton. It was supposed to be like an emaciated, burnt body, but it actually looks so real that they didn't put it in the oh, movie. Wow. Cause it looked like a Holocaust victim. Apparently like that's what it rem- reminded the director of. So they didn't put in the movie cause they didn't want it to be, you know, like too much where they would have to cut it or do something. So that's why they just went with like the stock skeleton. And I think it almost kind of a little bit went the other way, but the whole scene, it's the most effective horror scene in the whole movie. I think in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. All right, then. Let's talk about our MVPs of the film for a second. All right. Now, you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is... Uh, so my MVP for this movie uh, goes to no other, none other than Patricia Arquette herself. Uh, I think for her first film that she's just dynamite, standout, um, nails the role. Um, she gets it. She knows what kind of film she's in, and uh, just has fun. You know, she you can definitely tell uh, that she's just just soaking this all up and and just excelling at at her job because she just plays this strong, believable. You know heroine of this movie and just i just i can't say enough good things about you know her um so that, that hands down without a doubt um that, that's my mvp for the movie how about you core yeah so i had a little bit of a struggle because i really have two like technically but my i'll tell you my honorable mention robert england um like we said before just his presence in this, like he's just having so much fun. It's just a good balance ad lib and lines. Like he does a great job, but he does a good job in really all of them. Even the silly ones, like even the six one where he's like Wiley coyote pushing the spike bed out for the guy to fall on. Uh, you know, he's still entertaining there. So I, I had a hard right. time giving it to him because he's, he's so good in all of them. Like there wasn't any of the sequels where I'm like, Oh yeah. Robert England just is cashing the check now. Like you can tell he gives it his all um, in all of them. So while I would say this one is probably his best, um, I wanted to give it to somebody else that maybe people might not see, but I want to give it to Ken, um, Ken Sagos as Kincaid. I just, I love Kincaid in this, like his limited time. Like he's the best of the B characters in my opinion. Obviously Patricia Arquette um, is the main character. She's the most flushed out. That's why I mentioned Mm -hmm. her in the pros uh but i love kincaid like he's the best of like all the other teens in my opinion he has the most personality he has the most presence 
Um, I think he's funny. <laughs> like just, you know, when he's like, have a fun walk, like, asshole. Like I, I just love his lines in the movie, just the way he delivers them. Um, Cause he's supposed to be this big, strong guy, but then he's got like the higher pitched voice and he just doesn't care. <laughs> he's just like, Krugo, you right. pussy. Like, I, I, I don't know. He just always really stood out to me. Like, uh, I was so disappointed when he gets offed at the beginning of the next one. I, I was like so disappointed when I was younger. I, he came back for the other one, and I'm like, oh man, Kincaid. He he was always my favorite in the movie, so I wanted to give him the MVP. I think he brings a lot to a um, you know, a, a decent role, but a smaller role in the movie. All right then, final thoughts. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. Uh. So out of five stars, I am going to give Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, three and a half out of five stars. Uh, there's a lot to like about this movie. Uh, it's, a, it's a good balance, uh, like I explained earlier, uh, balancing out my pros and versus cons. Uh, definitely a lot of cons. A lot, definitely a lot of pros outweigh the the, the the few cons of this movie, but it's still by no means a perfect film. Um, not even my favorite of the of the series. Um, even though it's up there, I'd say it's in between the halfway to top, like right around there. Like there's still a few films ahead of it and um it might if if I were to break the films down but still uh memorable movie uh an important film of the franchise Robert England was one of his A game Patricia Arquette like I said uh of course she would go on to do spectacular things I think she's a, a great um contributor to this uh film and uh, does a hell of a job as uh, Kristen. So, like I said, not my favorite of the bunch, but definitely a, a film that I enjoy from time to time when I get the chance to watch it. So, um, I had fun, you know, watching it for this episode and also talking about it with you. So, uh, before we wrap up, what are your final thoughts? And also your final score. Yeah, so my score is three out of five. I think this is a great uh, slasher sequel. I think it's a top-tier sequel as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, it's up there with, like, as far as the other franchises, to me it's up there with, like, Friday the 13th Part 6 or Child's Play 2. Um, I just think it's mm -hmm. probably as good as it's going to get for a sequel for Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, you know, it ranks pretty high. It's either... It's, my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street is the original, um, even though that's the more serious one. That was always the scariest, the most imaginative, just because of such, you know, a great concept for a movie. Uh, but right. as far as the rest of them, I mean, this one and uh, New Nightmare are probably tied. Honestly, I just like the whole meta idea of New Nightmare, and I like the return to darker tone in that movie. Mm -hmm. um right. and but i like this one because it strikes the right balance uh like we said before you know it's funny because actually Wes craven's original script for this movie was new nightmare it was a meta take where they were yes, shooting a freddy I, movie I, and uh people were getting off but they were like eh, nah, change that change that um i'm so glad you mentioned that i'm so 
I'm so glad you brought that up because I meant to bring that up earlier and truly forgot to. I dropped the ball on that. So yes, thanks for bringing that up. You're exactly correct. At one point, it's kind of like how Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, was initially pitched as Freddy vs. Jason. This was, um, yeah, pitched as uh, the new Nightmare concept. So, um, good call. Yeah, yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I, I just think it's a great sequel. Um, as far as my other uh, final thoughts, Robert England, like I said, was great. He wasn't my MVP. He just got edged out. But he was excellent um, in the movie. You can just really tell he's giving his all and just having fun. Um, mm-hmm. I wish he got more direct to, um, directorial shots. I love 976 Evil. I think that's an overlooked gem uh, from that time I period. I, I, I love that, that all movie. the time. I agree. Um, so I wish he got more directorial uh, shots. Um, but yeah, I think just such a gr- strong idea, you know, while the execution isn't perfect. This movie is just so much fun, just so entertaining. You know, it might not be the scariest horror movie. It might not have the best characters. Uh, some of the effects might look dated, but overall, it's just so enjoyable. Like, it just takes me back to my childhood watching this movie um, either on cable or eventually when I got like the two pack VHS with three and four bundled <laughs> together. Um, as I was so famous for getting those two packs back in the day <laughs> with all the VHS tapes. And I remember just rewatching like this one and the fourth one constantly uh, and just loving it. It has some of the most imaginative kills um, in the whole series, in my opinion. And yeah, I think it's just a excellent sequel. All right. Well, just wanted to let everyone know this episode is sponsored by mental health. <laughs> in all seriousness, everyone's well-being makes all the difference in the world. And if you're ever going through something and need to talk, you have options. Text a relative or a friend. Shoot us a message on social media. Or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifelines immediately at 1-800-273-8522. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Is it safe? Yes, it's absolutely safe. And with all that being said, this film definitely gets the film effects seal of approval, and that will bring things home for this edition of the show, one down many, 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 many more to follow. Check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes on our website at thefilmeffectpodcast.com. That's right, folks. We have a new URL, thefilmeffectpodcast.com. It's that simple. And please... Support the show on Patreon for as little as $3 a month, where we have a variety of tiers, each containing an assortment of perks in exchange for your support, including bonus episodes and Patreon-exclusive shows, such as The Film Effect Focus, where each month we break down a different filmmaker's career in the same manner we break down movies on The Film Effect, and a conversation with where each month we sit down and talk to a different actor or filmmaker about their career. We'll be back next week, right here on the main feed, talking about Enemy of the State, a Ah. movie that was filmed right here in beautiful Baltimore, a film that, even without the whole location background, I'm a big fan of this movie. I I remember you talking about that. I remember you talking about that. 
Yeah. Big Willie, Gene Hackman, just so many young people in this movie. You got Seth Green, you got Jack Black, you got Jason Lee in the Jake, movie Jake Jake Busey. Huh? Is Jason Lee in the movie at one point? Jason Lee's kidding? in the movie. Jason okay. Lee's in the movie. You know, Lisa Bonet's in the movie. John Voight. So many, so many. And a gun. Come on. Heisenberg's wife is in this movie. So many people are in this movie. Um, it's just a fun ride, you know. It's, 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 and it, I have so much to say. And I also want to announce that we're also going to be joined by the fellas at the Spy Hards podcast. Um, Cam and Scott are going to be joining us next week talking about that one. I'm really, really excited about that episode. Um, I'm a big fan of the, of uh, their their show. Ever since I listened to their episode on Taken um, a few months back at while I was at work. And look, I've been trying to get with them for a while now. And finally, we made this work out. And I'm like, guys... Your stick is spy movies. We're talking about a spy movie. Let's let's make this happen. So they agreed to come on. Looking forward to it. Really, really excited. Um, and real quick before we sign off, uh, we put a lot of time and effort into these shows each and every week. So please consider letting us know how we're doing by dropping a rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or directly on our website under the reviews tab. And it, it 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 helps us, you know, know what we're doing right and wrong, and it helps us get noticed through the old algorithm. So please consider doing that, and um, we'll just forever be thankful. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media. We're at Facebook and Instagram. We're at Corey, the Film Effect Podcast. All right, and how about Twitter? At Film Effect Pod. I'm at TikTok. At Film Effect Podcast. Nice. And then about what's our email address? Uh, for all the old schoolers out there, the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. All right, all right, all right. Follow us, like our stuff on the socials. And you can also find direct links to all the platforms mentioned at our website, which once again is www.thefilmeffectpodcast.com It's that simple. If you're still listening, and we must be doing something right, so thank you guys so much for tuning in. Until next week, when we take on the government, (laughs) Corey, it's been fun. Thank you so much for doing this. Cheer up, beautiful people. We will see you all again next week. It's been fun, but the fun is finally done. Take care now. Bye-bye. See you guys. This concludes our broadcast day.